and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're, we've got a lot to talk about, everybody. We're going to discuss 1994's crime drama thriller, apparently, because it's on this list. Pulp Fiction, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, we have not talked about Tarantino explicitly on this podcast, i.e. we've never talked about one of his movies. Um, we'll get into the Tarantino of it all, as well as all the rest of it all. It all. Uh, content warning for fucking literally everything. I There's no sexual... No, there is. There's sexual no assault. Sexual assault. Uh, any oh. racial slur you could think of is in this movie. Uh, drug use, over, overdose, mm-hmm. and possible death. Uh, sexual assault. Um, yeah. Everything. Crime. Yeah. <laughs> like... Uh, There's like a list of things that they're, they're ticking off here. Yeah, as, as it, the story it, goes it almost feels like a to-do list. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, uh, Happy New Year! Oh, uh, Happy New Year! This yes, is our first record in the new year. We have we'll we'll have released an mm-hmm. episode, a New Year's episode, uh, last week with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. But this week is the first time we are actually recording in the new year. We made it. We got out of 2022. We're into 2023. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How has your week been? Um, It's been lovely. There's that we we did have a small gathering here. Yeah, I was nervous and overwhelmed because I thought nine people were coming over, but then only three people showed up, and because those the weather the is also with the food, and it was perfect. The weather I has knew been them all. awful here. The weather has been it's been atrocious. awful for driving. It's been awful for getting around. It's been awful for visiting people. We've been fortunate enough that we've got our power. Right. It has not gone out. That may change tomorrow as a bomb cyclone. Mm. Which sounds like a good thing, but isn't. Uh, lulls through starting tonight at about midnight. Uh, there are four, four mm-hmm. advisories, weather advisories for our county right now. Mm. Um, so there's floods and winds and floods and winds. And I mean, then afterwards it's... we'll have locusts and and fire from heaven, mm-hmm. I believe. Maybe blood. Blood, yes. Yeah. The moon will turn to blood and the sun will turn black as sackcloth. Yeah, it's, we are, it is cold here, but it is not unbearably cold. Uh, and the rain is rain, it is not snow. Right. Uh, I am grateful for it because we didn't get any rain last season. It started Positively for one week, and then that was the end of the rainy season. This doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon, and so as much as it's oppressive, I'm very excited to see how the reservoirs look in the summer. So I'm focused on that, and uh, I've managed to keep my feet dry every day. So that's also <laughs> helping my positivity. I am. Um, I'm very happy that we're getting as much rain as we have because California was very dry. So dry. Uh, and I feel very sorry for people who don't have shelter. Shelter, yeah. Because it's going to be a nightmare for for them. Yeah, and just being wet. Right. For the next two weeks, and it's been two weeks. It's, t- it's really hard. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there's enough shelter. I mean, I here's the thing. In Oakland, I know there's enough shelter because there are more vacant units than there are 
unhoused people. Mm. And this is why I want to be empress, <laughs> so I can just fix it. Yeah, most of the guests who didn't show up on yeah were rain detained or the, rain detained. It, yeah, it wasn't. We don't want to come, or no. we're not excited to see you. It was. It's the fact that it was pouring rain, dark. Mm-hmm. The sun hasn't broken out in days, um, and. New Year's Eve, meaning the level of intoxication on the road is higher than normal. Right. It's just not safe. That morning, um, our friend's daughter, who did, mm. she did make it, um, but her daughter on the way to work in a and in an SUV flooded her engine yeah. on the one hundred and one, getting getting ready to get off at uh, the at the airport. So, yeah, it's not. It wasn't a safe time to be out and moving around necessarily. Yeah, California didn't um, didn't prepare its right. roadways and um, utility areas for the inevitability of uh, moisture falling from the sky. We just didn't. There are places. What I and granted, it's an arid uh, climate, so most of the time it's. Fine. Um, the uh, my weekend trips where I used to go to diff- where I went to different beaches and different went up to work out with my friends. Mm-hmm. There would be areas that were completely flooded in, in the best of times. Mm-hmm. Particularly on the other side of the bay, there were beaches and there were areas, part, public parks yeah. and things, where you couldn't get to them because it was very two, three inches of water. Yeah. I can't imagine. And that was during the very arid yeah. years that we've had lately. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like right now. I remember my last year in, in high school, mm-hmm. clear like flood. Wow. And I had to try and walk to my friend's house, and I couldn't get there because the lake was between us now. Wow. Uh, and then I couldn't get to school. So yeah, we don't even know if we're going to go to work tomorrow. I mean, you it, know, it, uh, it we had flooded before, and we're on the top of a hill. Yes, which is even stranger. Yes, I know that uh, my other job, which was uh, on Grand Avenue, which is right by Lake Merritt. Yes, flooded. Often. Oh, really? That yeah. the bookstore. But there was times when. Oh, but you guys had bad roofing, right? Like bad roofing. But we had like uh, sandbags that got put up by the door to keep to make mm. a barrier. And there are pictures. They're doing that again of, now. Yeah. I was seeing people around Oakland be sandbagging. There are pictures of um, of probably a foot of water, and anybody who's if you've lived there and worked there, it's. Really strange to see it all sort of yeah. under that way. I, it's I'm afraid of water mm-hmm. in places where it shouldn't be. Yeah, like that's it's a weird fear, but it is my most visceral fear. Specifically, the combination of cars and water. So if there's standing water, I won't drive through it, mm-hmm. or I'll try my very best not to. Right. Um. But yeah, post flood imagery yeah. really freaks me out. Um, and it just, I always think about too, like the work that it's going to take to come back from that, like, Mm. and how much shit is ruined and how much structural integrity has been taken out of this building because it was just wet for three weeks or whatever, just soaking in water. Like, it's not good for wood. (laughs) Like, it's it's just. So, and then, does, you know, is it structurally sound when there's another earthquake? I mean, I just, it's, 
hi, anxiety brain. <laughs> What's going on? You're just piling on top of each other. So uh, we hope everyone out there is uh, staying warm and dry and not having to fly on a plane, uh, especially in Southwest, uh, from Southwest. And, uh, you know, had a, had a good, strong New Year's and is joining us here in 2023, wherein things will get better, goddammit. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about this? Not particularly, but... Maybe you guys, uh, there's going to be rants. We're going to have rants? Yes, that's... that's... Um, so, first, let's talk about... This movie came out in 1994. You have seen it before. Yes, I've seen it. What is your history with this movie? Um, before a couple of times. And the first time was uh was actually with the woman that I came to marry and yes. we've been divorced now. Our we're, current roommate is our current your roommate. ex-wife. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you saw this movie first with her. Right, because she was citing something that happened in the film that I didn't buy as an audience member. Um and so over time, I've had a sort of a strange relationship with it because my first reaction was to say, I've seen, except for the segment involving uh, the two characters. Oh, um, Vincent Vega and Mia. Right. Except for that segment. Um, Wallace. The dance sequence. Right. And you guys, this movie is kind of bonkers. It doesn't, doesn't take place linearly there are seven chapters basically so right. we're gonna just talk about each chapter once we get into the talking about the movie um because it's confusing and it's out of order on purpose there's a literal MacGuffin. Um, yeah they might as well just put MacGuffin on MacGuffin the outside, on of, the the outside of the right. suitcase yeah um he's doing a lot of He's doing a lot, but yeah. So that's what, what, when we talk about the movie, we're going to talk about right. it in the in the seven sections. But um, as far as my, that was the only segment I felt was something I hadn't seen before, and I'd say a lot of it. A lot of Quentin Tarantino's work is really depends on your familiarity with other kinds of films, and he cites a lot of movies all the time. Uh, and so having seen a lot of movies, I'm like, well, no, this is a scene from another film and this is the plot line of this other film. And, and so I, I've had this, I have to say that over time I've come to appreciate the dialogue to a certain extent. I don't appreciate his slurs necessarily or, yeah, but, um, but it's, the banter is funny, but it in no way ever convinced me that this was actual people talking to each other. No, it felt like a stage play in that way. I appreciate the lines that get thrown back and forth in the movie. That thing about him not even tickling them right. is so funny to me. Right. But that, and at yeah. the same time, but I don't... But it feels like a play or a radio play. Right. It like does it, not feel like... Explicitly a human wrote this for people to read out loud to each other. Well, and that <laughs> seems to be the gist of why actors liked working with it because there was a lot of dialogue and yeah. um and so i can see a through line from samuel beckett to harold pinter to david mamet to this right um but i think it it takes it to almost a self-defeating extreme yeah i mean where it just feels so artificial it is yes although 
Mm-hmm. And when you was this, had you seen any other Quentin Tarantino films before you saw this one? No, no. This was the very first one I saw, and then afterwards, um, I got to see Reservoir Dogs, which also was, which even more than this film was. Like, yeah, I I don't see these guys sitting around a table talking. No, you like don't. This. That's but that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a movie it's right. stylized. You don't see the people in you know La La Land either. Like right. it's just not. Um. Yeah, like it just doesn't make a lot of s- sense to say. Well, it's not realistic, so that's what makes it bad. Because no, no, movie. but I mean, <laughs> in terms of of this film, it felt like it defeated the curate to a self defeating end. I don't know. What was your thoughts on it? Okay, so I first saw it probably a decade and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the first. I think it's the first thing that I ever saw of his, and I still haven't. I'm not a completist mm-hmm. um, of his films. I've seen Reservoir Dogs. I've seen this. I've seen Django and The Hateful Eight. Um, I have not seen Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill one or two, or uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I made an option. I made a decision not to watch that. I've also never seen Jackie Brown, which is a movie that I would like to. Well, see. That's universally amongst people who are not <laughs> big fans of his. Going okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah. So he, I, I've had a lot of problems with him mm-hmm. since I first saw this movie. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize then how, I mean, I had the same issue. I just didn't sort of clock how terrible it was, mm-hmm. uh, the first time I saw it. Cause it was 15 years ago and I wasn't as deep into my anti-racism journey as I am today. Um, and like two minutes in, we're already three slurs in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> like I'm making, I'm making audible. Right. I'm not turning off the thing. I'm not. But our roommate, who is Asian, I need to, I need to say that for the record. She's an Asian woman. Said, think of it as being written in a different time. And I'm like, oh, I am. That's still not okay. Right. And my counter argument to that is, there are no Asians on screen in this film. Right, and the first thing we get is an anti-Asian there are slur. two right. anti-Asian slurs in the first two minutes. Yeah. So, and this is strange for a person. He's a he's really odd in that respect because he mentions two films as being a very influential. Well, of the number of films he said, there was a dozen movies that were very influential to him. Uh, and then he mentions, on top of that, Five Fingers of Death and Enter the Dragon. Right. Yet he's. Ape the genre that yeah. led to Five Fingers of Death, and he has continually like had some sort of issue with Bruce Lee as right. a human being, right? And Which came like, to fruition, right? Mostly in, in the uh, Once Upon a Once Time, Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, right. Once again, a movie I am not going to watch. I just I watched the trailer and I went, "That's not for me." So unless we have to do it for this, and then I will because I'm dutiful. Uh, I'm not watching that. Movie. Right, but yeah, he's a. And I don't understand exactly what the issues are, but um, yeah. And I, I thought, come the hateful eight, uh-huh. um, that and Django really those two 
I was like, oh no, we've allowed him to do too much for too long. Right. And now he has... There, there's no thought to whether or not he should use these langu- this language in, in these situations. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Stephanie was like, well, it's, you know, how the character would talk. Sure, have him talk about something else then. I, I can... I can see both sides of that argument, but I fall on the argument that on the side that says it's too much. It's, it's I think it's too much because I, specifically mm-hmm. with those with, with <clears throat> we'll start we'll just start so in in part one, mm-hmm. uh, which is the pro, pro, um, preamble. Sorry, the prologue. The prologue, which I lost my list, so I'm gonna scroll up. The prologue in the diner uh, with Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, both of them. Right. Uh, but yeah, he is just dropping slurs against everybody. Right. But specifically, there are slurs against Asians, and there's not an Asian to be seen. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing? Why are we right. doing this? Like, I get that he's a bad guy because we're talking about armed robbery. So like, where are I? I'm there with you already. Mm-hmm. You don't then need to add six flavors of racism to this character that I'm not even going to see again right. for two hours. Okay, yeah. It's just like, what are we doing here? And then, you know, there's a scene in this movie where Quentin Tarantino calls Sam Jackson's character to his face. He doesn't call him, but he says the N-word with a hard R 12 times something like that yeah it's and it's done over and over and over again to push that it's that family guy we're going to push it it's not mm-hmm. the joke we're not going to push a joke but we are going to push this thing it, you're going to be uncomfortable and you just i'm just like how does samuel jackson still be in this motherfucker's movies um and then there's a sexual assault against a black man. Mm -hmm. That is who gets sexually assaulted in this movie. So, you know, there are two black men in this movie. (laughs) And one of them is violent. Oh, there's the third black man. Oh, there is. That's right. Phil Lamar is in this, yes. Who gets his head literally Literally blown to smithereens. Then the rest of the story becomes, well, how do we clean this up? Yeah. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Yes, there there are three black men in this movie. And there are more in the background of things, but like, yeah, it's it's just, it's like we just decided to give him latitude because he was hip and cool, right? And he has now used it to, I would say, diminishing effects in his later works. And well, I think that's probably the reason why it's every time that he then makes another film, he has to push the envelope even farther, right? So whereas this, but film, he's just doing the same thing. Right. He's just doing it more. Whereas which, this film was considered really violent at the time, and it is violent. It, his movies have become increasingly gorier and yeah. mess. By the time you get to the Hateful Eight, that film just lost me. At, yeah, the, there are several things that they hate for the Hateful Eight. Like you filmed this whole movie in this sprawling format. Format. Mm-hmm. And 98% of it takes place in a one-room shack that you can't see shit in. Right. What? <laughs> Not only that, you also had someone like Morricone score it. 
And it's when it, I hear about how proud it was he was that it was his fist that is punching Jennifer Jason Lee, right. I'm I'm out. That was the other thing. Jennifer <sighs> Jason Lee. I remember working on a film set years ago. And um my roommates made a comment about her and watching this was oh god, thirty years ago. Watching everyone turn and just stare him down because he made some comment about her acting skill. I wouldn't, sir. And it's like, oh no, we you know, Jennifer Jason. We love her here. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I saw a film that she did where she played Lauren Tweez, who was huge at the time. She was in a love boat. And she was playing a, a female reporter who's tracking a serial killer. This is a film from the 70s. And Jennifer Jason Lee plays her blind sister. Her, she's a teenager at this point. I'm going to say it because I'm like... Her performance was amazing. And I remember at the time Siskel and Ebert, who hated slasher films, were like, yeah, this film is really weird. We don't know how it got made. Possibly this actress is trying to break away from her love boat persona and trying to blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. And they go, okay, but whoever this Jennifer Jason Lee is, you have to watch her. She's amazing in this movie. And then her career just grew from there. She, anyhow, became distinct. The whole idea that you could cast one of the great film actresses. Is that Angel City? Uh, I'll find it. Or Eyes of a Stranger. Eyes of a Stranger, maybe. 1981. Yeah. So she'd done she done a movie and a couple of TV episodes before that, but yeah, she's because she's not that much older than me, and I was mm. one in 1981. She's like your age, right? I think so. So, but yeah, she it's getting hiring that actress to just repeatedly get slapped, kicked, and beaten for oh close to two hours. I also didn't know she was a she was a famous child. Oh yeah, a child she of fame. Writer Barbara Turner and actor. Vic Morrow. Morrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. But yeah, no, I've I've liked her yeah. for a long time. I like her very much. Um, she's just like a lot of power and a little right. package, and I I am drawn to that. I like a Bridget Fonda. I like a Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I hear that he bragged that he's the one, it's his fist beating her. I also, I don't need to know that Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish, but I can't help but know him mm. because I've watched his films yeah. and he won't stop telling me. There's a whole conversation in this movie about, right? which he goes all the way around it. He doesn't even fucking, like that conversation is with, where he talks about uh, one of the, it's Vince Vega, Vince Vega and um, Jules. It's uh, Travolta and Sam Jackson talking to each other, and they're talking about how intimate a foot massage is, and they have differing opinions. But neither of them comes to the crux, which is, if you find feet sensual, it matters. If you don't, it doesn't. That's the the dividing Mm -hmm. line. What do we know about Marcellus Wallace? If the story is to be told, he finds them sensual. <laughs> so does John Travolta's character. Sam Jackson don't give a fuck about feet. <laughs> He's like not here for that. But he is good at feet massages. He doesn't even tickle them or nothing, which is the thing that made me laugh. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so I don't need to, like, it's real hard for me to, especially if you turn out to be a dipshit, Mm-hmm. separate the work, the art from the artist when the artist won't stop putting himself in his art. 
Right. You you can't you have to to an extent, obviously. Right. But you don't have to put everything like you didn't I didn't I don't need to see Uma Thurman's feet as much as I ever do. She'd probably prefer that I didn't. Uh but you can't help yourself right. and there's, it's just like a, dude. And then we'll we'll cover it later on. One of the things that I can appreciate about filmmakers that have their own issues is when they don't make you a part of that issue. Mm-hmm. And we will be talking in the future about Roman Polanski. Yes. He does not make his thing for very young women a part of his films. There apparently no. was one or two movies that might Unlike have, Woody right. Allen or right. What's That Dude? Or Victor Salva, Victor I think. Victor Salva, who's yeah. just putting, you know, the sweaty teenage boys in all of his films. Um... The Polanski films, that the Tenant, the you know, the Repulsion, all these movies are not about young women. Bless you. Or they are about if they are about young women, they're not in that. They're not fetishized that way. Yeah. And it's it's strange watching for for Travol- uh, for excuse me for Tarantino. Yeah. The fact that we keep seeing that image. Yeah. In and then there's like a, a literal 10-minute conversation where they're talking about whether feet are sexual right. or not without actually that's, getting that's to part the of the, That's the prelude. That's the first that's time That's in see the prelude, it. yeah. And that's probably, to me... Well, it's... The best... that Their scenes together are the best written scenes. Oh, Sam Jackson and, right. and uh, John Travolta. Yes, they and, are... They are by far the strongest part of the film, not mm-hmm. just because their scenes are the best, but their characters, both of them are equal. Mm-hmm. Um, when Butch, that's um, that's um, Bruce Willis's character, is with his woman friend, she is unfucking bearable. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into it, but like those scenes are a problem because of her. Yeah. And also... I think Bruce Willis is doing what he was asked to do in this film, but he there's no charisma. Any kind of charisma you get off of a Bruce Willis ever, it ain't here. He rinsed the charisma off before he walked onto the set. He is stone faced. He is he doesn't he doesn't smile or smirk once. That's his whole thing. I think that Which is what he was right. asked to do. He it's was, what this he character to break is from that in okay. order to do go on and do things like that we really liked, like the Sixth Sense or whatever. Sure, his work so, with but he needed to break away from being that persona. Maybe, but what it, what we are left with is he's a stick. Mm-hmm. He's just a wooden stick mm-hmm. walking through this movie. <laughs> um, and there's also just some. I don't want to say plot holes because, like I said, like you said, we don't even see what's in the fucking briefcase. Um, and a lot of this shit just does it. It's not how human beings would act, right? Um, but also there are huge things where it's like, you punched a man to death in a fight. The police don't want to talk to you at all. Like, like like even if it is found to be manslaughter is still a thing. Mm -hmm. Someone is going down for the death of this man. I would think he would be detained immediately. And we don't see cop one anywhere. It's, it's just like, um, uh, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, 
All right. So let's start. Yes, we'll start with the prologue. The very first part, as I said, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, they're talking about uh, robbing restaurants. restaurants. They've been robbing uh, basically bodegas. They don't say bodegas, but it's convenience Mm. stores. Um, Then a bank is brought up, but that's that's a little too much. And why don't we just rob someplace like this? A restaurant, it's not well secured, nobody's expecting it. I'm like, also, all those windows are glass, but okay. You do you, dipshit. And all of a sudden, at the at the end of this conversation, they stand up, pull out guns, and yell, you know, everybody down, or whatever yeah. it is. And then we freeze frame, and we will see them in two yeah, hours. Amanda Plummer, who I've always liked, she's just kind such of like an a awful. weird elf voice. She's like a Brian Froud character. Right. She's very funny. <laughs> And to see her playing this, like, shouting sadist, that was... A, her name is Yolanda, but she goes by Honey Bunny. Right. Apparently, Johnny Depp was supposed to do the Tim Roth um, uh, character. The studio wanted to put him in there, so they had another big name, which today mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous. Right. Because this movie had Bruce Willis, Harvey Keitel... John Travolta and Sam Jackson in yeah. it, but two those last two weren't really anything at the well, time of this movie. The, <laughs> and um, Big Rames, obviously. Right. I mean, there's big names in oh, yeah. this. Um, Uma Thurman, but they wanted to get Johnny Depp, and I think the Tim Roth part is maybe a f- twelve minute yeah. total. Mm-hmm. They want to get Johnny Depp in there for name recognition. And Quinn said, I don't think he's going to help. Which John Travolta... Maybe the smartest thing he said in a long time. John Travolta and... Um, Sam Jackson. You know, no, no. Uh, and uh, Bruce Willis were both on the outs on their careers mm-hmm. at this point. Right. No, I know. Yeah, so this I think really, that really... This really revived John Travolta, and I would say he's back down. Bruce Willis... I don't know mm. if he got revived, but he got moved out into the next sort of phase of his career, right. which obviously, unfortunately, has now had to yes. come to a pause. Um, but, yeah, no, th- those were not... But you hear those names today, and you're mm. like, how do you how do you want Johnny Depp for name recognition when those are the people in your movie? Like, the names we recognize. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, 1994 is a different time. I was a freshman. That's why I didn't. I was like, why didn't I see this when this came out? I was inappropriately young to see this movie when it came out. I don't know that I could have gotten into the theater. Because I feel like this movie, they were actually sort of... There was a sort of a like, panic about the Not like of, NC-17, but they didn't right. wait at NC-17. But I feel like tr- like theaters may have been treating yes. it like, no, kids are going to try and see this and we're not letting it happen. Um, so that's the prologue of the diner. And then the next sort of set piece we have is the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And this starts in the car. It's Travolta and Sam Jackson. And they're talking about the Royale with cheese. This is iconic, Mm -hmm. like literally iconic when people talk about scenes from the 90s or scenes from the 20th century this scene comes up this scene and the dance scene i think part of it is because it really works really well it does i mean they they, they are they so do really good well. together yeah. um it's funny because i don't think at my at the end of my previous viewings of this movie i i realized how big of a dipshit john travolta's character yeah. is um because he's like 
like so deeply addicted. Like he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a spoiled, sort of weak-willed moron, <laughs> which I don't think I got before. And I also like I still don't understand at the end of this one where he how how he got this. Game. The assumption, and you have to provide a lot to yourself from yeah. these stories. Yeah. Um, this reminded me of, I think, the, the film is The Killers. Uh, and it's based on an Ernest Hemingway story where there are two, two men who assassinate a character at the beginning of the film and then piece together his life as the story goes on. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of what I was getting, the vibe I was getting from this um, particular scene. But, yeah, uh, it's... Uh, yeah. Because we know that uh, Vincent has been away in Europe. He was in Amsterdam. That's what he's. That's what they're talking about. The differences between Europe and America. And there's actually some insight in here. Um, it is kind of good to hear somebody say a thing that we kind of know but don't really think about, which is they do have the same stuff over there, but it's like slightly different. Um, which is where culture shock comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because you just expect you can just get ranch anywhere, and no, that's not a thing outside of America, <laughs> basically. Um, but I had presumed that he had gone and visited and done whatever was doing there, and then came back, and he had worked with them before, right? But later, they're in the valley, and and he's like, "This isn't my town. I don't know where the fuck anything is. I don't know how long it takes to get anywhere. I don't know." Like, it's very clear that he does. He is new here, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "How did you two? Like, which one of your uncles called and got you a job? Because you are dumb as fuck. <laughs> I don't think you did it yourself." Um, but yeah, he they um, they're driving in a car. They're talking about the differences between uh, Europe and and America. Then they're talking about Marcellus Wallace, who's their boss. I think they're like independent contractors. I don't know what the state of that relationship is either. And they're picking they're picking something up for him, but they're talking at the same time about where they're talking about the right. f- foot fetish. They're, they're, they're talking about the foot fetish because um, his wife, uh, Marcellus Wallace, is their uh, boss. He's played by Ving Rhames. We don't know that until later. Right. He's got a bandit on his head. That's what you need to know about him. Uh, bald black man with a bandaid on his head uh, married to uh, Mrs. Wallace that's all we we know of her for now uh, a, another person that they know in the same mm-hmm. I would assume line of business uh, gave Mrs. Wallace a foot massage and then Marcellus Wallace threw that man off of a balcony like three stories up and fucked up he didn't die no, but he, he did get real fucked up but I don't know, like if his dick didn't work anymore or something. It was some, some sort anymore. of crass. Can't talk. Well, yeah, it was something just, like that. Yeah. He lost he lost the ability to do something fairly major for a human being. And they're talking about how, like Sam Jackson is like, I think it's overreacting for a foot massage. And and Vega, Vince Vega, is like, well, I mean, that is, yes, I agree with you that it's overreacting, but... If you put your hands on this man's wife in an intimate way, you have to expect that he is going to do something to you. This this response was 
over yeah. what was maybe called for. But you had to think, you had to know something right. was going to happen, at which point Sam is like, a foot massage ain't nothing. I give my mom a foot massage. A foot massage is not intimate. And then they have this conversation back and forth, but they never really settle on if you find the sac- the, the foot sexual, mm-hmm. which Marcellus clearly does, Mia knows he does, because Mia definitely orchestrated this shit. <laughs> then what we did was a crossing of marital boundaries, mm. right? It was her crossing because Tom, Dick, and Harry off the street may not think of maybe a Sam Jackson who just is like, I give all the bitches, and by bitches I mean literally every human person, a foot rub if they want one. Um, and they don't think of it as an intimate act, right? They never really... Which, it's possible that Quentin, at the time of writing, didn't know that that was the the dichotomy. Like, right. that, he might not have been able to see that in himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And to understand that other people don't feel that way. He kind of gets that that's true, but he doesn't get why, and I think that that's interesting. Mm. Uh, that might be the most interesting thing in this me. I don't know. Uh, and then they break uh, down a door, and... Uh, Sam Jackson tells a man to say what a whole bunch of times, and they do kill several people. Two mm-hmm. people. They kill two people because there's a briefcase that these people had that belongs to their boss, one Marcellus Wallace. I believe you heard us mention him before. And it's uh, time that they uh, come and get it back. Now, I don't know why they couldn't have just taken it and gone, but this, this, and this whole scene. Sam Jackson in the scene is very funny. Right. He's very funny. He's very... His whole Sam Jackson persona... It, it like, is it's really galvanized <laughs> yes. in this scene. Because yeah. before that, he'd been a character actor. And he'd been mm-hmm. one for a while. And you look at stuff before this, and you'll see him playing a bunch of different parts. Yeah. But this is the, the, the scene that really gave And if he's him... hired to be Sam Jackson, this is what right. he's hired to be. And hear. so I, I don't know if that's good, necessarily good or bad. I... Yeah, I it's think hard. Of, uh, I think every actor would love to have right. that iconic thing. Yeah. But when it turns into the only thing you're hired for, a la Chris Walken, Robert Walken, Al Pacino. Um, I had a conversation about that once with an interviewer. It's like, now they hire me for Christopher Walken parts. By the way, Chris Walken in this movie, not in a Chris Walken part, though. Right. Well, he's not even it's, credited. It, yeah, it's weird. Uh, we'll get there. Um and so they blow away the dude on the couch. They blow away the white dude that's talking to them. Who's Frank Whaley. Frank Whaley, yes. Yeah. Um, who looks like a knockoff somebody. I don't... He plays the most noir kind of he character. He looks like a B-list. I know. But <laughs> he looks like... Or like two other people uh, and mushed together. Like he just looks kind of vaguely familiar to me all the time. It's weird. Um, and... Yeah, so they kill him, but not after having some... Yeah, Sam's real good, real scary. Dude, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? I don't know. Does he look like a bitch? (laughs) (laughs) If he doesn't look like a bitch, why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? These are funny things. This is funny. It is misogynistic. But it's also, like, not aggressively dangerously misogynistic mm-hmm. 
the way that Quentin Tarantino's use of the ER N-word later is aggressively, yeah. dangerously racist. Like, who he's talking... It's all men that are being talked to here. There's not a woman that's being um, sort of traumatized by this situation. Uh, and then we leave that... We We just are done there. We'll come back there later. So I'm going to keep going, I guess, to yeah. what happens in this room later. Or No, well, we go to a couple of other vignettes, and then we come back to a kid in the bathroom of this apartment. We don't know that's where he is at first. Uh, and he's trying, he's got a gun, and he's trying to psych himself up. And he bursts out of the bathroom, and after both the guy on the couch and Frank Whaley have been shot, and they're just talking about how they're going to finish what they're doing and get out of here and we're not going to kill this last dude or whatever. And he fires, he empties his weapon at them, missing them six times. <laughs> at which point, they look at each other, presuming one of them has been hit, because they were literally just standing, standing shoulder there, to shoulder, and they didn't move. Like, they didn't even flinch, and they didn't know that dude was there. And at, they look at each other. They look behind him at the huge holes in the wall behind them. Then they kill him, mm -hmm. and then, of course, they go to Phil Lamar, who's the last character there, and say, and they're like, "Why didn't you tell us?" That there was someone in the bathroom. Do you not think that that was pertinent information? Um, and then they end up taking him in the right. car with him, with them. We'll let's time out on that and come back later. Oh, the last part of that prelude. The reason that it is the prelude is the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And the reason it's the prelude to that is because after they're done talking about this story where this man gave this woman a foot massage and then was promptly uh, almost murdered. Uh, Vincent says, I'm taking Mrs. Wallace out to show her a good time right. <laughs> at the behest of Mr. Wallace. And it's like, you're being set up, you dumb dumb. Um, and then the next uh, vignette is Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. Wherein we get a, a cool Eric Stoltz, is it, which are, and which of the Arquettes is it? Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette. Mm -hmm. uh, as drug dealers. Well, she's not a drug dealer. He's a drug dealer. She's a, a hanger on, a wife of a drug dealer. Yeah. She likes talking about crystals and the things that they'll do for uh, you. She likes and her piercings, her piercings and what yes. they're good for. The strange sexual, not strange sexual things. I'm not going to judge. Um, and. But it, yeah, v Vincent's there to buy some heroin. Very, very expensive, bespoke heroin. We get a bunch more slurs. Uh, this time, your people are mm. are brought into the mix. I was like, not a Latino on the screen, and yet here we are. Yeah. And I'm hearing the W slur, and I'm just like, no, who's asking for this? Um, and the N word. Yeah, he's uh. He's a he's a prince because he wants to remind you that he's a white man in a house, and that's where you're buying your heroin. So yeah. you need to come correct and pay because right. I'm not an N word in a crack house. That's not what this is. 
Uh, and then he goes with his, it's not a balloon because he doesn't have enough balloons. It's just a baggie tied with a twist tie. And that's really what gets him. <laughs> that's really what gets him. Well, that and the fact that somebody doesn't know how to ask. <laughs> um, so he go, he takes that and he goes to pick up Mia Wallace, Marcellus Wallace's wife, played in this movie by Uma Thurman. Now, I have to say that in this particular scene, John Travolta is actually very good. The scene where he is acting so high that he wanders into her apartment and she's speaking to him over the intercom. And yeah. he's literally kind of slouching and shuffling he's around got, the house. His, his, um, Doesn't know where the voice is coming from. Yes, his posture is very good in this movie. Like, the way that he's carrying himself. Right. But also, he looks dumb as fuck. Why? Because he is dumb as fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, so he goes in and she yeah talks to him on the intercom from the bedroom. And, say, and she's got a camera and she's like, make yourself at home, have a drink or whatever. And he's like, how do I talk to you? Because he's just in this living right room. Right now, he's so high. Well, not to mention, in she, 1994. Right. That would wake you the fuck out. Right, but I mean, he's so high that he just yeah. starts looking around like if there's a disembodied voice. There's a fish tank, and he's like, no, it's <laughs> right. not coming from in there. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's he is high. He is strung out on heroin. And then they go to a diner and have a hamburger, and he gets a steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the milkshake. That's an interesting conversation as a historical anecdote. Yeah, first of all, it's a $5 milkshake. That's what it's called. And he's like, oh, what? $5 is too much to pay for a milkshake. When she orders the milkshake, $5 milkshake is what she says. He says, Amos, or Amos and Andy. Yeah. What was the other What was the other set? Oh, goodness. Um, I can't remember. It was another pairing, comedic pairing, uh, of white people. And it was a chocolate or vanilla question. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> At first, I thought it was little kids versus adults. Mm-hmm. Um, Crosby? Was that what it was? Hope or Crosby? Oh, maybe it was. I, um, yeah, that part. Yeah, something like that. But away. it's it's a yeah, it's Amoson. It was it was it was two right. couples, and one of the other one was white, and then the and and I had thought for whatever reason in my head that Amos and Andy was a kids show, but I don't know if that's no. true. No. Yeah, I didn't. It, it's I'm literally I've never interacted with it, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't. I I assumed it was with alcohol in it or not. And then they, he talks about, do you put booze in it? Because it's $5. How are you charging me $5 for ice cream and milk? <laughs> um, which is hilarious now, because I would love to only pay $5 for milkshake. Especially in a sit-down place. Yeah. Like, at a drive through I can this get a shake for less than $5. I have such but... high overhead. Because there's a, there are, all the waiters are dressed up like characters yeah. of uh, film stars or rather their personas. Um, yeah. And Vincent, they're, they're, uh, they're waiters Buddy Holly. Right. Vincent, who's played by Steve Buscemi. Played by right? Steve Buscemi, yeah. At one point demonstrates that despite the fact that he's high and that he's been in Holland for years or whatever, he still can tell Mamie Van Doren from... That's the other thing is she said that's there's two Marilyn's and he right. goes, that's not Marilyn, that's Mamie Van Doren. And I'm right. like, who, what? 
<laughs> but um, yeah, and and Mia Wallace is really high, and she's kind of spoiled. She's been sucking down cocaine the way he's been sucking yeah, down heroin. She takes a coke break in the bathroom. She does, uh, um, and she is. I think she would probably be qualified as a princess and a brat. Yeah. I think those are the two things that she would be qualified in the kink community <laughs> and and elsewhere because that's just how she comes across. She makes, she insists on things. And it's yeah. interesting the difference between the heroine and the cocaine too. It's like she's just up and sparky and feisty and he's really and looks he's like he super, wants to take a nap. Well, be, because Exactly. Cocaine is an upper and heroin's a downer. downer. Right. So I think <laughs> see see how they're getting further away right. from each other. Yeah, and neither of them probably started. They were probably already a little skewed, mm. but uh, yeah. So uh, she does demand though that he dance with her because they're having a dance competition. Yeah, a because competition. of course they are. He makes her, uh, he being Quentin Tarantino makes her take her shoes off to do the twist. She's wearing these cute gold flats until she isn't because she's barefoot now. Hi, I am a former dancer. You don't want to dance barefoot. Your feet will sweat and you cannot smoothly glide, especially in something like the twist. Mm -hmm. Stocking feet or those flats were perfect. What Travolta takes his shoes off too, but he's wearing socks. Right. She is not wearing anything because we have to see her feet. Well, we, when we first Again. see her, the, her introduction <laughs> to us as a character is her wandering barefoot through her yeah. apartment. And we don't even see her face. Nope. We hear her voice and we stare at her feet. Mm-hmm. And so there's... And then we go back to right. her feet here before she walks onto the dance floor. You see the bottoms of her feet um, after she kicks her shoes off. And I'm like, mm. so he's if you want to win this dance competition. For a very long yes. time. Because the whole conversation she has with her feet in Kill Bill. Yes. She has a conversation with her feet and her toes. Yeah. The fact that Uma Thurman allows Quentin Tarantino to indulge himself that way. Mm. I hope that she's getting financially compensated well, in a way that makes her that feel film, happy and whole. Not particularly, because she that's the other film where he actually physically put her in danger. And she had yeah, some injuries I just, as a result. But, like, she's reading the script. Mm-hmm. I wrote this for you, because we know that he did. Right. And she agrees to do it without taking those scenes out. To me, I know if if I'm her on that day, I'm like, today I'm a sex worker. Today I am literally making bespoke pornography for one Quentin Tarantino. Because that's what the fuck she was hired to do on that day. Not every day. Obviously, mm-hmm. these are bigger parts. Um, but like, and and not just to do it the once in Pulp Fiction, but to come back. By now, you definitely right. know this is a thing. She must have just been like, that money's good, though, so that's <laughs> fine. Like, I hope that's what, like, that's... Right. And she didn't feel gross and icky and try and talk him out of it and all of that. I hope that she was like, you know what? I'm an empowered bitch, and if this motherfucker wants to pay me an extra 150000 to look at my feet for the, the whole of today... Fucking yes, fine. I can buy my kids a house with that. 
that's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it reminds me of when uh, <laughs> Richard Chamberlain was asked for why he appeared in The Towering Inferno with all these other actors. It's like, you're a serious, dramatic actor. Why did you appear in this film? And he's like, I bought a house in Hawaii. <laughs> like, that's what I did. Michael Caine being asked a similar right. question, saying, I've never seen the film, but I've seen the house that I've bought. Right, it's exactly. beautiful. <laughs> Because I am here to do a job. Right. But mm -hmm. when it is the overt sexualization of a part of your body. Right. And that is literally the reason for what we're doing here. And to her that credit, is a different Uma Thurman runs away with the rest of it. Sure. She does a really good job of doing the rest of the part. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't think it was also only that, but right. like. She also was an actress who was m m making her bones to use a mom right. term at the time. Right, 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 right. No, and, of course. Yeah. I just, I just hope that she feels she was mm, compensated yes. appropriately and wasn't put on the spot to do these things right. that are so overtly sexual to the director of the film. Right. Because that's a tight, that's a tough spot to be in, um, and then to have these things be so iconic and to see you you're, you in this film anytime there's a retrospective of 20, 20th century right. film to have that, if that's a bad experience for mm. you, to have that triggered constantly that'd be really, really tough um, so hopefully that's not the case so they dance and contrary to what I said she danced great, barefoot and they won they get a trophy and everything and then they proceed back to the house. Uh, he, she is wearing his coat. He goes into the bathroom, and she finds a little baggie in his coat. And without asking, so there's a there's like an infomercial interstitial thing with puppets in the Bay Area, and they did a. A one hundred, like a, right. a like a don't borrow without asking. Charlie and Humphrey. Charlie and Humphrey, and it's a bulldog and a horse that wears a sailor's hat. That's correct. Uh, there was another thing too, but I can't think of. Yeah. They had their own daytime show for a while, and then they okay. were doing interstitials. Yeah, and then it was interstitials, and there was one where one of them was reading one hundred and one stupid things to do, uh -huh. and he's he is using a borrowed lamp, and he did not ask if he could borrow, and that lamp does fall over and break. And then he calls his friend and he says, what do I do? I borrowed this lamp and I've broken it. And they don't know that I borrowed it because I borrowed it without asking. And he says, 102 Two stupid, stupid things, things to do. Borrowing without asking. And then it, that it ends on a stinger with, you're going to need lots of glue. <laughs> um, in my head from forever and it will never that's <laughs> going to be the thing I think of right before my brain turns off for the last time I think uh, it's going to be like 102 stupid things to do and then oh, <laughs> I'll go towards the light <laughs> and I'll shout back you're going to need lots of glue uh, but that is what I was thinking I was like bitch ask before you right. make two very large lines of this heroin now for those of you who don't know about drugs you can snort heroin not like this not at the levels that this heroin was um and not without knowing that it's heroin <laughs> so she snorts 
way too much and instantly overdoses. Her nose starts bleeding. She has what looks like is a seizure. And we should mention this is the bespoke heroin too. This, this is, is like the, this is the good this, stuff that right. Vincent paid a lot of money for. And he comes out of the bathroom and she has her nose is bleeding. She has vomited on herself and she is laying there not moving or saying anything. And he understandably freaks the fuck out because if a man gave her a foot massage and got fucked up the way that guy got fucked up. Imagine, Imagine if you straight killed his wife. So he puts her in his car and drives back to Eric Stoltz's house, which I think is a fucking hilarious move. I like the idea that you basically return to the drug dealer's house like, fix this. I need, I need, a, I need a refund or some sort of... Uh, some sort of like what's the thing called when you well like warranty (laughs) you got a heroin warranty so he shows up there and they have a needle with some adrenaline and they have to shoot her in the heart with this adrenaline needle and Eric Stoltz has never done it so he's telling Vincent that he's going to have to do it he's not doing this and Vincent's like, I've never done it before. Eric Stoltz is like, I have also never done it before, and I am not going to do it now. He's like, when I bring some OD, uh, OD bitch to your house, I'll, I'll do the needle or whatever. And he's like, so he gives him the drug, he gives him the needle. He has to, he has to do it really hard to get through her breastplate, and then she should wake up right away. And do they cut here to go to another thing and then come back? They, no, they. they uh, he takes her back home again. She, she, and she tells him the joke. That, I thought that there was a break. Yeah, no, the break no, there is Okay, so he he does it. He gets mm-hmm. it into her heart. She wakes up and she's fine. I mean, she looks right. like shit, but <laughs> she's okay. Um, and then yeah, he takes her back to her house, saying something along the lines of, uh, "I won't tell if you." Won't. And she's like, yeah, I'll be in as much trouble, if not more, than you if he finds out. So I will not be right. telling him. I live in fear of my enormous which, violent husband. Correct. Which, yes. Um, but it's it's very much, it reminds me in a way of The Godfather, where I would like to feel more sympathy for Kay. Mm-hmm. But she knew what she was marrying into. After a certain point, she knew that... Mm-hmm. What? Who Michael You're choosing was. not right. to listen. You're choosing to let them close the door, right? And not ask follow-up questions. You are making that choice. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. You may not know, no, but you yeah. know. <laughs> like yeah. by the second film, I'm like, oh, who paid for that coat? Who paid for the? Who paid for your house or that car? It's like you know perfectly well where that money comes from, yeah. but you're fine with it as long as it. So yeah, it, her character. Um, there is a scene in uh, Fellini's movie Eight and a Half that I sent you at one point. Uh, a dance scene. There's a character there that's played by Barbara Steele, who is one of my favorite. You love her because her eyes are bigger than her face. Who is doing, not only has the same hair cut, the oh. style of the wig, also does some of the dance moves that are later done by Uma Thurman in this right. film. And uh, she's really hysterical because she's almost like a, a very kind of a cross between, in that film, she's a cross between sort of a a very overly dramatic actress 
and Wednesday Adams in that yeah. she's sort of morbid and thinks about death all the time. And, and that was almost like a send up of the characters that she wanted up playing in her career because Barbara Steele did a lot of horror stuff. Still has threes in it, everybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was weird because once I realized that I'm looking at, at this scene going, okay, it's an iconic scene that was lifted from another iconic scene. Right. Which is part of the, the disappointment with it. The more that you know, you're thinking, oh, well, that was really original and fascinating. No, it wasn't, you know. And it also depends on your tolerance for that kind of thing. Yeah, I will say, mm-hmm. we're about halfway through the, the list, at least. Right. I wasn't bored watching it. No, and I, I wasn't bored And at even point. as I was going, ugh, the swears and the... Right. Not the swears. Fucking swear all you want. The slurs. Yeah. And then the assaults. And the violence, I, I was just like, okay, I, this is a lot. But I never felt like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Which I think maybe is tr- not true of the first time I watched this. I think I might have fallen asleep, actually. Which seems crazy now. Like, when did you fall asleep? But All right. So Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife end up at the end of the night. Everybody's okay. He did crash his car, which does kind of suck, but... Then we go to Prelude to the Gold Watch, uh, flashback and present. Now, now we have to talk a little bit about Butch. Mm-hmm. Butch is a fighter. We have seen him in a previous scene. Uh, Marcellus Wallace pay him to take a dive in the next fight that he's in on the fifth round. Uh, we get a scene of a little boy in the 60s, maybe 70s, probably 70s, uh, getting visited by Christopher Walken, (laughs) who has a family heirloom belonging to this boy uh, that was given to him by his father and has been held inside of his body cavity for the last five years. So that's fun. There's a gold watch that was handed down from great-grandfather to grandfather to father. Everybody made it back from the war except dad. Dad didn't make it. But he's he, he Chris Walken is returning this watch. It's a bonkers story. The way that it's delivered is lunacy. The fact that <laughs> Christopher Walken can say any of this with a straight face is It is done to as though the stuff he is saying isn't the Makes most... any logical sense whatsoever. Yes. Just out-of-pocket nonsense. Mm-hmm. But there was a watch well, crammed up his ass and he is returning it to its rightful fa- owner. It's, again, it, it goes back to the thing where after I've already spent at this point, well over an hour, maybe an hour and a half, a little closer to an hour and a half. Yeah. Looking at these characters and their lives, I'm going, no, this is not where I'm going to draw the line about the guy sticking clock here. But sure, that can happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's just the, the way that it's <laughs> it delivered in this though. deadpan. Right. And the level of swearing that Chris Walken is doing during this monologue mm-hmm. to a literal child. Yeah. This, like, eight-year-old boy just looking up at him like... <laughs> Which is and mom not saying I and this got is, damn I, thing. I really like the fact that Christopher Walken can play this kind of character. Sure, because he does. He plays it like with equal parts of. Is this guy going to blow up and start strangling me, or what is he? You know, but he has a watch. 
Yeah, so just just retarded. That was a really great. Uh, Harvey Keitel does a cameo later on. It's also, it's a really great bit that he does. Yeah. So there's that flashback, and mm. then we see Butch now. Which is in a, in a scene basically right after the fight, mm. um, where he gets away in a cab. What has happened is he has taken the money that Marcellus gave him, uh-huh. betted on himself, double-crossed Marcellus, and uh, accidentally killed his opponent yeah, in the ring. The other guy just sort of went at it like he was because he was certain he was going to win, and then he went at it, and they. Everyone's like, well, it was a great fight. It's a pity the guy's dead. So he doesn't know that he's dead because he sneaks out through an no, alley. No, he doesn't. He bounces out right. of the alley because he knows that Marcellus is going to send Hitman after right. him immediately. He's he's fucked. He's calling and he's getting the numbers. Um, and then he takes a cab home with uh, Esmeralda Villalobos. Who plays really, is does nothing other than be sexy and drive yeah. a cab and ask weird questions about what it feels like to kill a man. It's the... There, there are four female speaking roles in this movie, I think. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Mia. Fabian. Who, who I have a lot of problems with. Her. And Amanda Plummer's character. Anybody else? Uh, Rosanna Arquette. Oh, yeah, she does have... Yes, she does, too. And then Rosanna Arquette's friend... Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. She's not a named, right? Uh, character. Roseanne Arquette at least has a name. So I was. So there are five female speaking roles with names. That's it. So that's pretty rough. Because uh, this takes place in um, L.A. in the '90s, and I promise you, there were there were women there. <laughs> so, so Butch has. He's going to be on the run. He goes back to the hotel. Where his girlfriend is. Her name is Fabian. She is French. And she acts as though she's approximately four and a half years old. She There's a, a theme here both with Mia and with this woman. Uh, although Mia is more of a developed character. Fabienne, what her name is. Uh, she is equally spoiled and childish. She is. Now, mind you, this is nothing against Maria de Medeiros. No. She's a very good actress. As a matter yes. of fact, she previously had done a film with um, with Uma Thurman, Henry and Jim. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, about Henry Miller and uh, his wife. And, their, and uh, she played, I believe she played Anais. Anyhow, um, that's fine. She uh, so, but the the she goes on along, sort of. This is where the dialogue doesn't work, I think, to me, because whereas in the earlier scenes, it's completely unrealistic to believe that two killers are going around talking about Royale with cheese. That part I don't buy, but it's funny and entertaining. Her subtle suggestion that she wants to have a pot-bellied slash she wants to get pregnant. Um, yeah, that's weird. I do like the the little thing about body. Um, 
sort of fat phobia mm-hmm. where she was like, I wish the things that we like to touch and the things that we like to look at were the same more, more often. Right. And I'm like, right. <laughs> like that's a real thing. Like people are like, Oh, I don't like fat girls or whatever. Curvy girls. And I'm like, you like to touch them. <laughs> so that's probably not true. <laughs> uh, you just don't want to tell your friends. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but she acts so young. I'm just yeah, like, she she looks very young. She acts like it. And again, this, uh, by this point, I'd already seen her in the other film. Right. So it's now I've seen her, and I, I've actually seen her have a love scene with Uma Thurman, um, which is funny. But I knew that she was an adult. But yes, it looked like her performance is very kind of childlike or childish. And she's made to be a sort of a waif. Yes. Um, and and I'm just like, right. why is Bruce Willis with this woman? Well, that's one of several completely weird connections uh, that we have in this film where you think, why is this person with this person? What about this person is so appealing that they make friends, very tolerant friends with this other person? And in this case, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but he is smitten with her. And he, um, <laughs> I, I, there were parts of it I did like, like the, you know, the, the, the comment that you brought out. And also the fact that she's really insistent that she must receive her quote unquote oral pleasure. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, their interactions are, are odd because they're overtly sexual and she does act like a child. Right. Maybe they're doing daddy daughter stuff before we yeah. even knew what daddy daughter stuff was. Right. Or daddy daddy dad not not daddy daughter, but daddy little girl. It's a whole thing. Anyways, uh yeah, that that character drives me crazy. And then he like almost loses it at her the next morning because she they're packing to get on the train and get the fuck out of Dodge because uh his life is on the line. And He's like, where's my dad's watch? He can't mm. find it. And she's like, I don't, I I did it. I, you told me exactly where it was. I, I got it. I can't. I, and then she can't remember if she got it or not. And he's like, he loses it in a very, very abusive way. Uh, and then he's like, just go get breakfast and I am going to go back to the apartment and get it. He knows that there are probably hidden in there. Like, he knows that this is not a safe thing for him to do. Yeah. He's going to do it anyway. And I'm just like, if you cared about the watch so much, it would have been on your person. You could have taken it off before the fight and put it back on after the fight. Fuck, you could have shoved it up your ass. It goes up there, apparently. I just was it's so mad. Because the way that he yells at her is really fucking rough and I was just like fuck you dude the infantilization of this character infantilization of this character is it goes to the extent that after he's done yelling at her and shoving her around he then just tells her to go get breakfast yeah and he has a temper tantrum inside of his car yeah but the fact Which that, reminded <clears throat> me of the movie Whole Nine Yards, wherein he, that he's in, uh-huh. but uh, Matthew Perry has a whole freakout inside of his car. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's it's difficult, but we also, I mean, 
we can see that he doesn't want to take it out on her. And this is a person who's just used to beating people up for a living, which is the other thing. Um, but he drives to his apartment. Yep. Watches exactly where he left it. Yep. She didn't pick it up at all because she's, you know, thinking too much about her belly button or But whatever. he sees a gun. Right. Just sitting on, t- on just a Just on counter. the table. A big-ass gun, too. So he picks it up. And then, flush. And the bathroom door opens. And fucking Vincent goddamn Vega is standing there fucking with a mag- with a book in his hand. He's been reading a He's been carrying a book around this whole time. Right. Uh, and gets fully fucking blown away because Bruce Willis just shoots him because he didn't bring the gun into the bathroom with him because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> I got nothing for you. That's, that's pretty much it. And then he's like, okay, I gotta go. I'm getting in the car. We're driving away. And he's like, everything is good. I'm gonna make it. Do, 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 do. And he stops at the stop sign and crossing in front of him, Big Rames, the first time we see his face, carrying some donuts. And he looks to see who's in the car, stopped at the stoplight, and he's like, oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> and Butch acts on instinct, I think, mm. floors it, <laughs> runs down Marcellus, and Crashes his car. Crashes his car. At which point, Marcellus gets up, because he's not out yet. He's a Pulls out a gun and starts shooting Uh at... Mind you, he's a little wobbly, so he shoots one of the two women that's like asking which of he's okay. Uh, I guess Kathy Griffith... Kathy Griffin, yeah. Griffin, excuse me, was the other one, and she just takes off running like that. Yeah, because <laughs> they're like, he was crazy. We'll t- we'll tell, uh, we'll say that he ran you over. I don't. What's going on? And then he pulls out the gun and starts firing, and mm. she like fucking yep. bounces. And they run and chase each other into a pawn shop. At which point. Things go things, south. Things go sideways. Uh, Deep south. Like, think deliverance. Uh, yep, that's about where they go. Uh, they are tussling, tussling on the floor of this... Uh, Advantage. This pawn shop. It's. Right. I think it's a pawn shop. And the guy that runs it mm-hmm. pulls a giant gun... Uh, Makes them stop fighting, get rid of the the weapons that they have, knocks them both out, and then when they they wake up, they are zip tied and uh, taped to a chair. But each of them, each of them is. And uh, this dude's name is is that his name is Zed, or was Zed the other one? There's Zed and what's the other name? Maynard, Maynard and Zed. And they also have a gimp. There's no explanation for these three. They, uh, they're rapists. I, I presume of both men and women, but definitely of men. They have a gimp who appears to be a full-grown man in a full gimp suit and gimp mask mm-hmm. who lives in a cage and doesn't speak. Uh, they've got, uh, they've got. <laughs> ball gags at the ready because both of them are wearing ball gags I'm like those are pricey <laughs> and they just have them uh, <clears throat> and 
uh, he Maynard is talking about how, well, nobody kills anybody in my shop, but me and Vith. And I'm like, oh, oh no, what's happening? Uh, and so they end up taking, and they don't know, I don't think at this point, who Marcellus Wallace is. Right, they don't know who he either of these two guys are. major, like, crime uh-huh. kingpin. They end up taking him in the back, leaving the gimp out front to watch Butch. Uh, where they begin raping him. Butch has already freed himself from his bonds and then murders the gimp because... Well, again, he's a professional <laughs> athlete, so yes, but, when he hits yes. somebody, they stay down. But also, well, he chokes him out. Right, but I mean, when, uh, he, he like earlier when him. he's fighting yes. Ving Rames, it's like advantage to the guy who punches people for a living. For a living, right, yes. Um, yeah. Ving Rames' character punches people for fun. right. It's just a hobby, though. <laughs> Butch has made it. He's gone pro. <laughs> and that's... So, yeah. Yeah. And, Mar- uh, Marcellus also had the disadvantage of being hit by a car just a few minutes earlier, so... There's also he's that. He's wobbly as hell. Yeah. Well, I think Butch at this point... Has he gotten winged by a bullet at this point? Um, I don't think so. Oh, I no, think okay. he is pretty busted up. His nose certainly looks like it's broken. Okay. Okay. Uh, but so again, Butch, he's used to that now. Right. right exactly. Butch breaks loose... Uh, knocks out the gimp. We, I presume, kills him, but there's no, there's no proof. Uh, and then, rather than leaving, which he could do right now, leaving Marcellus Wallace in the dust, he's planning on getting on a bus or a train, anyways. He's not fixing to be here anyway, um, and that would ensure maybe that he didn't come after him. But he doesn't do that. He like does a legitimately good thing, and he goes back and he does murder Zed and Maynard, and well. He doesn't. He stops them. Well, he, he kills. He one. kills one of them, uh-huh. and then he allows Marcellus uh, to reclothe himself, and then deal with the other one. Right. After I do believe he does shoot him. One of them shoots him. Right. And then he's going to be it's tortured de- for a long time. And uh-huh. then it's like, then he has to like very delicately be like, "Are we? Go- are we good? Are we good?" <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm not good at all. I'm very, very fucking bad. And he's like, no, I mean, like, Us. are we good? <laughs> and and he's basically like, look, if I never have to see you again, I never have to hear your fucking name. Yes, get the fuck out of L.A. It's not for you anymore. But other than that, we're... We're good. You come back here and I'm going to fucking kill you. But free pass. But then also, there's another funny line there. It's like, we're going to get a couple of guys. We're going to get medieval on your yes. ass. Yeah. Um, and but, yeah, yeah. And then he steals one of the redneck rapists. A uh, chopper. It's not mm-hmm. a motorcycle. Oh, it's that's a right. chopper. And goes to pick up uh, Fabian. And after an interminable conversation about how they didn't have the pancakes she wanted and how she doesn't know if it's safe to get on the bike. They finally go yes. and ride off into the sunset, presumably happy well, the, forever. The funny part here is that she's so dis. Why is your face that way? Well, and he's like, our train is leaving in 20 minutes, bitch. Right. Get on this bike. But I don't, but... Uh, and I'm just like, I can't, oh, I can't with this bitch. All right. So they ride away. 
Now we're back in the apartment from the very beginning. You remember yeah. the apartment with the briefcase? But just out of curiosity, how did you feel about the way that whole scene was handled? Which scene? The whole... I know that part of the reason why the film was viewed so harshly at the time was this rape scene. Oh, yeah. I have a big problem with it. I have a big problem with it. Uh, like, if, if you can't tell me that Quentin Tarantino's not a racist when the person who gets raped in this movie is a black well, man. Well, there's, I mean, we're led to believe that the guys who do this are racist because when we see them well, no, of course. right in the front door, there's a huge, mm-hmm. um, and there's it was a big Confederate flag. Confederate flag. And there's like this weird kind of action scene because Bruce, again, the professional boxer, as we've been shown, and he's punched people around and blah, 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 blah. He picks up a katana, yeah, and then suddenly is going full, you know, Gokumen Shaman, cutting yeah. these guys. Like, where did he learn how to do that? Like, what is honestly? You don't need to learn how to use a katana. They are pretty um, self-explanatory. Okay, the grip was good though. But anyhow, yeah, but that's... I'm saying if you've watched, I've watched enough movies mm-hmm. where I'm pretty sure I could hold a katana correctly and put it through your neck to your you know, it, it'll, if I get the angle right, which isn't that hard to do, because it's basically just a right. basic slash motion, if I pull it up to my head and don't actually hit myself with it and then bring it down, it's going to go shoot right the way that it went through that dude, from your neck on one side of your body to, like, right. through your ribcage on the bottom, on the other side of your body. Probably not that far, because I'm not that strong, and the Tom is going to do some of the work, but it's not <laughs> going to do that much. Um, it was just very. But weird I don't think. I legitimately don't think. I felt like there was an element of revenge, kind of. I, I, yeah, it just felt very strange. It, I don't know. I liked. It. I, th- I. I mean, I think he proves himself to be the best person in this movie, right? Because he he went back. For went him. back, and he absolutely didn't need to. And, and his life would have undoubtedly been if not exactly the same, slightly better if he hadn't gotten back. Like, he would have... also... Because Marcellus could have been like, oh, no, we're still not. It's also the film that I think it brings male sexual abuse or into a a light that it hadn't been in before. I could see that, yeah. Because it's explicit. It's fucking terrible. But again, why do you choose the... Black the black character. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, really? Because, I mean, we'd only seen that kind of thing. That was, I can count on the fingers of one hand. And we saw the other film that kind of... Deliverance. Deliverance, but we also saw, I'm sorry, um, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, yes. Was that scene yeah. that sort of suggests that's what happened, but yeah. it, and that's the reason why he's so insecure. Yeah. yeah. That's um, right, I forgot about that one, yeah. But... That Mostly because the sad end is so sad and I can't remember it. Right. But that was one of maybe three or four films that were released that covered that. And you could, you know, that was a scene in that or in the public consciousness. All right. So we're up to part six. Okay. Um, this is where we actually see them not shot by the guy from the bathroom in the apartment at the it's beginning. Previous. Previously. So Vincent is still alive, mm-hmm. everybody. Uh, and um, they take the last guy, Martin, right, mm-hmm. uh, with him. And they're driving away. Uh, they're talking about whether or not that was a miracle or not. 
Right, the fact that they did not get shot. And then Vincent accidentally shoots Melvin uh, in the face. While he's having a casual conversation with him in the back of his he's car. he's a fucking idiot. And he's probably high. He's and probably he's probably high. high. It's, it's, it's one, one doesn't help the other, for mm. sure. Um, and then they are like, well, we got to get off the road because it's like 9 o'clock in the morning in uh, the, like, in the valley, in mm. the Inland Empire. Cops are going to pull them over because they're car the inside of their vehicle is a literal bloodbath and and, and um jerry curl has and like jerry a curl, piece yes. of guy head in it there's like yeah brain in his hair it's rough so they go to jules says i've got a friend close we're gonna go there we're gonna go see jimmy and this part is called the Bonnie situation because Jimmy's wife is Bonnie and Bonnie cannot see what has happened. Mm-hmm. And she's coming back in an hour and a half. I think it's like two yeah. hours, whatever, an hour and a half. She works night shift. Okay. Jimmy is played by Quentin Tarantino, who puts himself in the scene with John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, and Harvey Keitel. <laughs> this is not... Because yeah. Quentin Tarantino is also not a very smart man. <laughs> he suffers because the others are so natural in their roles. He, this is where he uses yeah. the N-word with the hard R so many times over and over and over again as he berates Sam Jackson's character and I'm just like, wow. Well, question I have, fucking I, I mentioned this to you, why are they friends? Why are they? No, that was my question too. I'm like, you are speaking like this to him. So how are you friends? Why are you friends? Why do you know each other? What is happening? Right. I presume they went to school together in like elementary school. Like that kind of a, we are not friends. Mm-hmm. We are long-term acquaintances. And we each owe each other enough shit that this is what happens. But I, yeah, because it's fucking wild to me because... Anybody that I would think that Sam Jackson would be friends with would not well, on top of that, do the thing that the, Quentin Tarantino It's did. like, this is just sort of, if you'll pardon me for saying so, this nerdy white suburban he guy. He is, yeah. And who's worried about his wife coming home. And Samuel Jackson calls him his partner. I have a partner, blah, 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 from back in the... Yeah. And but no, it really feels like they knew each other in like seventh grade. Right, but I'm going. So Sam Jackson like beat up the bullies for you. Is that what yeah, happened? Because I can see that. Right. And but. he's so. I mean, part of it is they don't have anywhere else to go. They right. need this place. But he is so accommodating to him, and just sort of chuckles and laughs off this extreme hostility coming off of Tarantino's character. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I what didn't, is this? I didn't, by that character or that relationship, because I just—I yeah, was like, does he have like a bunch of dirt on Jules right. or something, like yeah, porn I... tapes of him, or like, yeah. you know, I don't know. So I... It was—it was weird because yeah. I was just like, why are you not shooting this man in the fucking face? He calls Marcellus, we should say, and say uh, to Jules say, does. yeah, to say we are up shit creek and we need help and after some needling they get the help in the form of Harvey Keitel as the wolf he is a fixer and he basically tells them how to clean everything up I like the fact that you see Travolta doing in these scenes 
exactly the kind of attitude that yeah. gets him killed. Yep, yep, which yep. is he's insisting on that he doesn't like taking orders. He doesn't yeah. like why don't you say please? He's like, say please, yeah. It's just he is such a pain in the ass. Yes, he is. And I thought it was like this weird toxic masculinity thing, mm-hmm. and it is. More than that, I think it's literally just his own stupidity and stubbornness. Right. Like, he's so dense that he doesn't understand that what he is. Meanwhile, Jules over here is literally guffawing hard R N-words and chuckling to keep Jimmy cool. And this motherfucker says, say please, when that guy didn't say anything to right. you other than, I mean, if you want to survive this, you need to do what the fuck I say when the fuck right. I say it. Because uh, I, I didn't I didn't come into your day. You came into mine. So, like, do what the fuck I say to do so I can get the fuck up out of here. Um, They end up cleaning out as much of the blood as they can from the car. They cover the seats with blankets. Um, How do they, what do they do? Oh, they put him in the trunk, I think, because they're going to compact. Yeah. Gonna, the whole car the is vehicle. gone. That's it. Car's history. Yeah. Uh, hide the body in the truck. Dispose of their clothes. And so they each get dressed up in nerd ass clothes. They both get like, um, like vacation t shirts and bicycle or yeah and, and mm-hmm. basketball shorts. Right. Not ba- not bicycle shorts. Basketball shorts. Both uh, Sam Jackson and John uh, Travolta, and they look ridiculous. Uh which is so fun. Uh, and then they take that car to the junkyard. They squish it into a cube. Julius Sweeney says, hey, what's up? And uh, and then they take their suitcase, their briefcase that they got from that apartment, um, wherein all of the members of that household are dead now, I guess. Uh, and they go to... A diner. And then, whoop, it's the epilogue, The Diner, which is also the name of the prologue. Everybody keep up. We're back at the beginning. So, there's, they're talking about whether or not they're, the fact that they're here in this diner is a miracle. Mm. And they're talking about, Redemption. That's Stephanie's whole thing with this, right? She thinks this movie is about redemption, and that's why you should like it. <laughs> I think that that story is... I mean, his character arc is interesting. His um, who? Jules? Jules. Yeah. Uh, he says he's going to retire from a life of crime uh, because they've just witnessed a miracle, and he's just going to do what God points him to do. Like, he doesn't... He's right. not going to have a he, job. Even, he even references specifically David Carradine. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> He's yes, going to like be Kane. Kung Fu. Yeah. Kung Fu, just wandering the earth barefoot. And, yeah. and uh, John Travolta's character is calling it, well, that's a bum. You know, you yeah, have no yeah, so you don't have any money, yes. you're a bum. Exactly. And then Vincent goes to the bathroom. And while Vincent is in the bathroom, we get the, ba- the, the end of the first scene with um, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Tim Roth mm-hmm. and Amanda Plummer screaming, you know, everybody down, don't move, don't be here, whatever, whatever it is they're screaming. And Marcellus is like, 
uh, no, my son, not my son, Jules. Jules is like, all right, well. So they're collecting wallets. They've mm-hmm. got money out of the till. The manager's like, I don't give a fuck about this place. I will give you the money, which is what they were talking about at right. the beginning. The manager doesn't get paid enough. This place is insured. It's, you know, it's victimless crime mm-hmm. financially. Um, and they're going around and collecting wallets and purses. They try and get the briefcase. Jules is like, and they go to open, they do open it. Right. Uh, when he opens it, you see, they are bathed in a golden light. And then Tim Roth is like, is that what I think it is? And Jules says, I think so, or must be, or something like that. And and Tim Roth says something like, it's exquisite, or something like that. And then they close it up again. You don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> You're never going to know what it is. There's a, a, an effects group that I'm a member of yeah. on Facebook. And uh, much to the disappointment of everyone in the group, there was a guy who had worked on the film who showed the picture of essentially a gold-lined suitcase. Yeah. It was lined with gold reflective material and a very, like, a, a high-wattage bulb and a battery. Funny, and that was it. Um, I like the theory that it's his soul that he had sold to the devil. That's one. That's a way to go. There's a, a reference in there to the the what's it in Kiss Me Deadly, um, which is a film that obviously Tarantino has seen and influenced him, uh, involving people passing back and forth a briefcase that was filled with. They never describe what it is either, only that um, there's a really creepy scene where the police sergeant who's trying to get uh, or trying to get Mike Hammer to tell him the whereabouts of the case is like, this is, you're in over your head, this is too big for you. He's like, well, what's in the case? He goes, Los Alamos. And then you uh, get the picture, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. It's, but no such thing here. It's no. just something. Some, it's just something. Right. That That's pretty. That men think are pretty. Because there's boobs. Um, Golden boobs. Well, Oh, my gosh. That would be pretty. Um, see? We figured no, it out. I'm sorry. Solved. I'm distracted. <laughs> 28 years and we've solved right. it. Uh, he distracts him while he's sort of enthralled mm-hmm. by this thing and uh, pulls out his gun. His gun was already out. So then they're on the standoff. And, and Jules is like, give me my wallet back. It's the one that says bad motherfucker on it, because of course it is. He takes out all the cash, uh-huh. and he's like, take the cash. I just want, I don't want to have uh, At this point. The cash and all of the other um, wallets that you right. got and the money from the till. That's a good, that's a good thing. Oh, you yeah. should go. And as they're doing that, fucking Vincent, Vincent comes, comes out, out of the bathroom. bathroom. And then he's in a standoff with Honey Bunny. Fucking Honey Bunny, yeah. Who's, who? who is unstable because she, she's played by Amanda Plummer. This bitch is not stable. <laughs> she's never... She's crooked as a three-legged chair. Like, no, <laughs> right. she's not stable at all. And so they're screaming. Everybody is, like, screaming. And Jules has it. He's like, fucking just keep calm. He diffuses the situation. He recites a biblical passage. Which actually doesn't exist, but... Oh, really? Yeah. That's a... And then uh, allows the robbers to take that cash 
whereas the, all the other things that they collected and leaves. And then they leave, They he and, and Vincent leave the diner with the briefcase in their hands. That's the end of the movie. So the, that happens before. Right. This is the job that, because uh, what. Uh, my guess is it's like the that night is the fight and the next day is. Right. Um, but we don't see them together because by that point, um, the um, Jules has given his walking papers to Marcellus. Yeah. And that's why he's not part of the crew that gets killed by Butch later on. The crew being just Vincent. Yeah, the crew is Vincent. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he just quit. So, yeah, he's going to drop this off and uh, yeah, give notice, which I think probably means be killed? I'm pretty sure it's blood in, blood out situation. I don't think he's going to be like, that's cool. I'll take your two weeks. This dude wasn't even offering two weeks. I'm pretty sure that he got killed. Well, if they're freelance, well, although then... Marcel, no, because because also Marcellus has not been through the stuff that he's been through. Right. Yeah. No, but I'm saying if they're freelance and they're just hired on. Oh, sure. Then there's no reason to kill him. Unless he's just... you know things. Right. Like, there's a certain point where you know too much. He's not going to rely on an NDA. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, Well, I mean, he him. also has it over him that, you know, they just move this I mean, guy's head off. That right. it's, it's entirely possible that they let him, that he, mm-hmm. they, that he lets him go or whatever. But it's also entirely possible right. that it's like, okay. I'd like and to then th- just, I mean, that that is the positive character, a positive character from the story. I'd like to think that he goes on with his mission of redemption because that's very much in line with the kind of stories I like, but um, but anyhow, how, how did you feel about the film as a whole? This, this That's visit? a rough watch. I'm I'm glad that we saw it again so that we could talk about it. I'm good. I don't need to watch it ever again. I'm going to just very briefly touch on something, too. There's a lot of not just racist language in no. the film. There is homophobic language. Uh-huh. There is sexist language. Yep. Uh, the homophobic uh, language and the, the terms, it's actually, it's done in terms of character. At one point, would you rub a man's feet? Well, fuck you. So, yeah. Yeah. Then we get, oh, okay, so now oh, we know so what this guy is. Right. Right. So then that was better than just outright, you know, we didn't hear the F word. Yeah, right, we, we didn't, didn't need yeah. to hear any of that. I like the fact that that's how you find out that this guy is a little skittish about this. Uh, or his reputation or his masculinity. This is what they're basing their, their manliness on. Um, but this, there's a scene with Butch and Fabian where he makes what he calls a mongoloid voice. Oh, that's right. They use and the that R was word. like, whoa, whoa. That's right. That one got me because yeah, I was expecting well. the other yeah. part. I was expecting the N-word because that was something that came... That it's film a first Quentin Tarantino movie. You know that there's going to be the right. word in it. Like, so, that's just where we're at. But it was, that was one where I realized that this is actually a good indication of where I've changed in the last few years. Where, yeah, where that's like, oh. where this is like, oh no, this is this is also not tolerable. This is this is wrong. Um, because, yeah, and I can understand that it was uh, written in 1994 and watch it and not think that it needs to be censored and also be like, that was fucking rough and I don't want to watch it again. Yeah, 
And there's there's going to be a like couple a of those. reasonable response. There's a couple of those coming up, you know, in terms of the this, this suspense list. Like, we saw scenes in Dog Day Afternoon where people said things. Yeah. Were just very casually racist and homophobic, although that was more about a, a gay character. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... N- Having looked at that, this one felt almost as if it was a callback to this kind of 70s, very gritty, kind of nasty, mean-spirited Yeah, which is what he was film. trying to right. do. Um, and, and you know, it is drawing the characters. There are other ways to do it. Right. There are other ways to do it. And there are certainly ways where you could do it less. I get it. Mm-hmm. I don't need... 14 slurs a minute to understand that you're a dipshit. Right. Or a bad dude. I could do it. You could do it in two. You know what I mean? Like this barrage. And I'm just like, you want the people who you're doing this to to come see your movie. Yeah. And that feels kind of deeply shitty, too. Like, um, I'll take your money. Right. Isn't it funny how many times the N-word got said in this movie? I I think that... Like, uh, sir. It's very much... He... I don't listen to his interviews anymore. And that happened well before. It really, the change in my thinking about him happened for Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, why am I, this is just wrong. This film is wrong on so many different levels. But I think that um, in listening to interviews where he talks about violence being cool, violence, it's, this really feels like a person who's never actually been on the receiving end of it. Um, and I don't know that he understands that it's not cool. Violence. He doesn't understand because he's been lauded for it every time. And that that's probably what the issue is. He gets away with it. Like you said. So so yeah. So we can just say, Oh, well it's just a product of its time, but if it's popular and we're going to keep watching it, we're going to keep listening to it. Then we're not going to, address Stop. what the issue is also. Yeah. And and again, it's in and of itself, there's I appreciate how well written it is, as I said. Um, I appreciate the group of performers that he got together for it. But yeah, there's some stuff where looking back now, I go, oh, that 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 wasn't cool then. Certainly isn't now. Yeah, it's just, it's so I I will talk to a little bit. So um, Spike Lee questioned in 1997 his use of the Mm N-word, specifically in Pulp Fiction and uh, Jackie Brown. He says, I'm not against that word, and some people speak that way, but Quentin is infatuated with that word, and I want Quentin to know that African Americans do not think that word is trendy or slick. And then the petulant child that is Quentin Tarantino is like, as a writer, I demand the right to write any character in the world that I want to write. You can. And we're saying, we see you that every one of your characters is a fucking racist. Mm. Why are you only writing racists, Quentin? Right. Like, why do white people want the right to say some shit so because bad? Because I believe, this <sighs> is my theory, as a non-white person, I believe that when a person is in a position where they get anything they want to, they don't like the fact that there's a community that can do something they can't. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's, they can a, use that's, that exa- word that's exactly you what can. it is. Yeah. It's like, how dare you say, I can't use that word. I can do anything I want I to. I can literally do anything I want and to. And then yeah. you know, you use it and get your ass handed to you and you go, oh, okay. Why did they do that? That's racist. I hear that one a lot. How come they can use the word? I don't ever feel the need to say it. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you made it a law right now, I would, I would adhere to that one more than I'd adhere to some other ones. Right. Because I don't, it's not the thing that comes to my tongue so readily um, that I feel like I want, just let me, just let me, it's weird because I had the exact opposite thought about drinking when I was turned 21. Uh-huh. Although really the same, it's the same thing. I, when I turned 21, I was so excited, not because I wanted to be ordering drinks everywhere I went. I wanted access to the entire menu. Right. Like, I was like, give me my access. Now I can do whatever I want. And so maybe that that is in me. It's just, I want to order wine. I don't want to say the other so. Well, I don't understand the need for it. You know, I don't understand this sort of... And I understand the opposite. I understand why a black person gets to use it and why a white person mm-hmm. doesn't. Or any other person gets to use it. Um, there's a very funny scene in one of the Rush Hour movies where... Jackie Chan is speaking to, he sees two black guys in director of the bar. Oh, my Negro. doesn't say Negro. It no, says something else. What? And so he goes up and he says it, and suddenly everyone's trying to jump him. And he's like, wait, why are they all? I just did what he did. Right. And, in and that that's case, kind of the joke. Because Jackie Chan is from China. Right. They don't have the same cultural through line mm-hmm. that America has. Right. That word means something from an American that it doesn't mean from somebody born in China. Right. And so the joke is that like afterwards, after he gets out with his life being Jackie Chan, he tells Chris, Chris Tucker's like, well, why was everyone after? He says, oh, all I said was, and he repeats it. And then uh, Chris Tucker wants to like, Wait, hold it. <laughs> What's wrong with that word? Like he's, it's like he's learning a lesson about its use. Right. And it was, yeah. it, it was done in an informative way. It's funny. Yeah. It's, it plays off into one of these. Because historical the other scenes. thing that, that is mm-hmm. weird and sort of harkens back to the beginning conversation in this movie is there is racism in all of these other countries. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a different flavor. Right. of racism than the racism that America has because for us it's built into our bones and we haven't even acknowledged that yet. That's, yeah. So it's more aggressive and it's more dangerous. Um, it, you know, racism in the UK will often lead to people being... Um, uh, refused for work or for places to live, which is violence of a type, but mm-hmm. it's different than being shot to death by the police because they were scared. Right. <sighs> when you look at, and we had the discussion because I shared with you David Sedaris's uh, really funny piece, uh, Six to Eight Black Men. Yes. Um, yes. About the Santa Claus traditions in the Netherlands. Yes. The. There is a terrible history with the Netherlands and with slavery and colonization of other countries, but there's also at the same time an acknowledgement of what they've done. And even if they're carrying on these really stupid traditions to this day, they're not hiding this. And also, 
these are people in the Netherlands, or these are people in England, or these are people in France. America was not inhabited by a group of white Europeans. That's the real huge rub. There's a whole other group of people here living that got displaced because they got slaughtered. And then, but it's, you know, you can't be nationalistic about a country that doesn't belong to you either. You can be, because there are people mm -hmm. that are. And those people should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Well, but (laughs) the idea is... I'm disagreeing with you, I'm just saying. Right, the idea is just that it makes it even stranger, the the kind of racism to agree with what you're saying, that we get here is doubly weird, because it's not anybody... If I, as a person who has so much indigenous heritage, said, I don't like these other people here, that would mean one thing. But for another person whose ancestors came here in the last 100 or 200 years to, you know, go, oh, I don't like those foreigners. It's like, but wait, you're a foreigner yeah, you here too. Are. Yeah, you <laughs> are. Right. Yeah. So anyhow, it's a whole yes. other thing. But. Yeah, it is. So, um, yeah. So that's, okay. So in summation, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it thrilling? I don't think I would put it on this li- on my list okay. of this meeting this these requirements. Uh, what do you think? I think there are parts of it that work really well as a thriller. I think, I think there are parts of it that are shocking, uh-huh. but the things that happen are largely very much like a surprise. Like there's not a lot of buildup. Mm-hmm. It's just like oh. He shot him in the face. Oh, he popped that's out true. of the thing. Oh, mm-hmm. like there's no build up, and so that's why I kind of am not like I'm like thriller is not the right word for me. For me, I think that as I said, I still maintain that. Well, aside from the dialogue the scenes with Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, which yeah. are not really thrilling because they're just two guys talking, that the best segment in the film is Amia and. Um, Vincent. Vincent. Yeah. And that one does have a moment when he's driving panicked, like the oh shit moment when yeah. she's dying and yeah. he's like, dri- no, there is a, yes, there so is. There, a, there are uh, scenes oh, like that that yeah. work for me as a thriller, but there, it's, I wouldn't put it on the list either because it's not like there's a great deal of. It's such a pastiche that it's only a thriller right. for f- five minutes. I, I re- and it was weird how that took a hold of people's consciousness at the time. Like, they were really excited about this film because it was so different, and I'm like, it's not different. But um, but there was a, a, a person at a local video store, a rental place. Let me tell you, children, about the days when you could go rent movies, you know, instead of having them stream directly to your TV. And I went there with our roommate back when we were married, or dating, I think, and this guy was actually, he had two VCRs, and he's editing Pulp Fiction to be in chronological order. I don't know why. And I've always remembered that. It's like, wow, that's an utterly useless thing to do, because the story then... That's on YouTube is 90% things like the fan, we done things. Yeah. Pointless, though. I'm going. I think that takes away whatever bite the story has. Yeah. Also, it's not that hard, right? It's big chunks. And then there's a couple of things that might be a little more. I mean, I guess for the flashback, you want to move that all the way up, and then I don't know how you're going to figure out 
where to put Vincent Vega's demise. Well, that's the last thing. Well, but I mean, actually, that would be the last thing, but the whole thing with Butch and everything would be last. That's the last thing. Because the, in the diner, which yeah. is the, the consecutively the last thing we see with Vincent and Jules, and right, the last happens. thing we see in the movie, Vincent's still alive. And so if after that... <laughs> so we don't really see anybody have a character arc. Butch was kind of mean, but he was still sort of decent. So it's not like he changed by rescuing Marcellus. He just sort of changed his own fate by rescuing yeah. Marcellus. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I, I don't think that that wouldn't have been any... That probably would have... It's very carefully constructed this way, so I right. don't know how that would work. If you put it all in chronological order, why would you do that? That's sort of... Again. I wonder if the... Uh, the My one thing is I wonder if the prologue in the diner was originally later in the movie and they moved that up. Because that's the one... Pe- because it's the shortest, I mm-hmm. think. I think that's the one piece that felt like it was a like a last minute decision to move it up up front, and they were really going to start in the in the car with the right. jewels and. Vincent. As a matter of fact, I I I thought that's how it began. And I oh okay now um, you got did, that. It's like a three minute right. And not I even. think that that's that is the pre-title sequence. It's interesting that you saw Goldfinger. Yeah. Because you got to see where that came from. Mm-hmm. That was invented by the people who Terrence Young actually when he did From Russia with Love. And then thanks to the Bond movies, that's become a staple. Yeah. Right before the credits, you're gonna hit them with some sort of scene that will later on pay off. Yeah. And that does work in this case because then when you see them in the diner, you know they're walking into the middle of something. Yeah. Alright, so next up, a couple of boxing films. Boxing films. First up, nineteen seventy six, mm-hmm. Rocky. So we're going to talk about that next week. Um, we are at one hour and 56 minutes. Let's do very quick recommendations. What would you like to recommend? I would like to recommend a film that we saw this weekend called Smile. I was like, is it going to be? Which is a really interesting film that seems to combine elements of of uh, The Ring with it follows. Uh, it follows was another film that it reminded me of, um, and it but it, it manages to do this without feeling like it's copying. Yeah, it it does. It gives a really. I mean, the plot is relatively simple. It's a woman who sees a character, or she's a therapist. She sees a, a person who commits suicide in front of her, and so that's a trigger for you. Several people will be committing suicide. Yeah, there's in the a lot of, of suicide film. in this movie. Um, yeah, but um, but yes, it just it it worked really well in terms of really good performances, committed performances. Good God, these they did their utmost, and um, really interesting suspense that's drawn a lot of it without the use of sort of visual effects and things that tip it over. It's very kind of old school in that respect. It was, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was real good. Yeah, I was surprised I liked it because I haven't watched a horror movie in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because a lot of them right now, the menu is now on HBO Max. Speaking of which, okay, um, a lot of them right now are about people violence and cannibalism. I don't know. We're having a cannibalism boom, everybody, and I can't watch stuff where people are hurting other people. It's too 
close <laughs> to reality. So I was like, this is supernatural. I'm down for a Susan. Come and get me, ghost. <laughs> and mean, the don't, ghost please is a, don't. is a genuinely frightening character, too. Uh, yeah. Very tall. Yeah, so uh, that uh, that was pretty good. And is there something that you would like to recommend? What would you? Yeah, I'm going to unironically recommend Top Gun Maverick, oh. a movie that when it came out, I was like, do not go see this movie. You do not need to pay for the propaganda and the Tom Cruise wanted to play with an airplane movie. But y'all, this movie was real good. <laughs> it's out on a streaming streamer that we have same with smile mm-hmm. uh so it was free to us i didn't i don't feel like i paid into the pentagon's pocket i mean i definitely did but uh i really it was really fun to watch i don't remember if i've ever seen top gun the original all the way yeah, through i've never seen it uh, i know what happens in mm-hmm. it um i like how many people they got to come back i like the the young people that they got for this one, uh, Miles Teller and his punchable face was actually really very good. He's good. He is good. He right. just has a super yeah, punchable is. face. Jennifer Connelly looked like a goddess. I like she so is a goddess. unbelievably good. <laughs> uh, which shouldn't be a surprise because we see her in Snowpiercer, but she's very severe in Snowpiercer. Yeah, that's true. So she it, she got to be on a bar, in a bar on a beach she, in this, and she, she just gets seemed to be a happier. little girlier and yeah. yeah. Uh, and the um, the way that they handled Val Kilmer, I thought was lovely. Mm. So, yeah, no, I was really surprised because I was like, I don't, Tom Cruise makes me itchy. I don't really like him, uh, but I do like him in a, I like him in the Mission Impossibles and I like him in this. I like him mm. in as an action hero, even though he is too fucking old to be doing this shit. <laughs> and also, the only reason that he made this movie was because he wanted to play with planes again, which I don't think should be allowed, but it's fine. The movie's actually quite good. Um, I legitimately, I, I got to the end of it and I was like, I really love that movie that we just watched, which was a surprise to me. So Top Gun Maverick is my recommendation. And now, uh, next week, Rocky, Rocky. 1976. Adrian. The first one. He, he loves Adrian. It's it's adorable. Uh, I feel like this movie is longer than you think it it's is. It's longer so than you think. Yes, I, I remember. And there's just a lot of a lot of it is just character development. How much time did you? Oh no, I'll, I'll look for it. I, I didn't look for it. Uh, One fifty nine. So just under two minutes. Just like this podcast. Hopefully by the time I edit it. Uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar, or you could find us on Twitter as much as you ever could uh, at Latecomers Pod. And I would like to take this moment to remind you to please, please take your medicine. And we'd like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.